listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today, we're talking about comp plans. Beginning of the year, everybody's getting new ones rolled out. The question we often ask ourselves is, what really makes a great comp plan? Comp plans are the motivators for salespeople, or at least one of the primary motivators. I don't want to say that we're all just money motivated. Uh, We do get motivated by other things. However, the comp plan is kind of how we structure our year, how we work backwards into our activities levels, our focus. It structures the underpinnings for how our year is going to unfold, what financial rewards or gains we might be able to achieve, things of that nature. Compliance is an extremely important topic for many people in the world today, especially those that are looking to achieve the ultra high performer status. So Brian Burns and I sat down and started to go through the things that we believe make a great comp plan. Hey, Chad. Uh, let's talk about comp plans. It's that time of year, isn't it? <laughs> Everybody's getting ready to figure out what next year is going to look like. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure you've had a lot of experience with comp plans. You know, what's the most important thing for you? Well, so if, if I'm looking at it for myself, one of the first things that I look at, and one of the things I always try to do for my teams is make sure that it's stable. Right. I've worked for a lot of organizations where every quarter, based on performance, they want to tweak the comp plan, they want to change something, and all that does is create distraction. Right. So I think it's it's really important for executives, sales executives especially, to make sure that they're actually taking the time to think through the comp plan, make sure they understand what their goals are. They have to be able to articulate that clearly to the sales team and then structure the comp plan in such a way that it's going to stay stable for you know 12 months. Give people time to work inside of whatever that structure is and quit changing the rules. Uh, As an individual contributor, that always irritated the crap out of me. Yeah. And I think it's gotten more and more complex. You know, certainly once you start doing the division of labor and, you know, we're now moving to smaller upfront deals with, you know, monthly recurring and, you know, I remember when I got started, it was pretty simple. You know, you had a base and you had a commission rate. <laughs> and I'm, I'm listening to all kinds of people because there was a report that came out that only 53% of the sales reps made a quota. Yeah. <laughs> and all, there's all kinds of interpretations of that. You know, because most people are like, oh, well, you know, that's because they're not good salespeople. That's one interpretation. <laughs> yeah, that's executive's favorite interpretation, it seems like. And I've also noticed that there's kind of almost three or four numbers. There's the board number, you know, what the board is being told that they'll do and that they'll build expenses off of an investment off of. And then there's the executive number, which the the, the executives will get comped off of. And then there's the the rep number, (laughs) you know, and each time there's a little bit of um, a padding added to it. There's definitely a padding effect. What's interesting to me, and I've, and I've always, um, I don't know that I've necessarily run into it, although I've seen it a lot, is that as you translate those numbers down from the board to the exec to the rep, it's amazing the the fuzziness, right, that starts to happen. Like it seems to me, you know, and I guess this goes back to that whole point of stable, is like if, if a sales exec 
knows what he has to deliver and you then have to divide it up across your team you know you've got to make sure that all the math works and and i've seen some comp plans where you know because like any any good sales guy i'm going to try and figure out how to game the system right it's just the way i'm out to make as much money as possible so i need to know what the rules of engagement are but then when you just take a step back and you add it all back up you still can at times see it not achieving if or exceeding uh exec or board numbers and that i think it lends itself to confusion and it lends itself to uh, you know comp plans that are not extremely clear yeah and I, you know my number one is that the quota is real meaning uh, that somebody realistic. actually put some thought into it yeah. <laughs> just didn't pull it out of the air <laughs> and, and i've had i had one manager who goes no 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 everyone gets the same quota and i'm like does everybody have the same territory does everybody have the same support does everybody have the same you know account base and he goes well uh, it's too confusing if it's different quotas it's like it's math. It's not that confusing, and it's not even complex math. I mean, we've, we're making it more complex because, like you said, division of labor, right? So you'll have SDRs or or BDRs, sales development reps, whatever they're calling them, that may be setting appointments, and they're probably comped differently uh, than you know your your key account reps or your strategic account reps, whatever you want to, whatever they're being called. Um, and then what ends up happening when you get into that division of labor is, and the comp plans are different for each one as they should be then you start to see a lot of friction between, well, what's the handoff? What, well, I qualified it as an SDR. It's not my fault that the key account manager couldn't do anything with it. Well, all right. Now you're, again, you're creating a, a situation where without clear rules of engagement and a stable structure or something that is achievable for each of those roles, it's going to create drag. It's going to create drag on the sales organization and drag on each of the reps. And it, it probably could have some blowback culturally as well. Yeah, because, you know, a smart rep will say like, well, I, I need, you know, another BDR, SDR, insight person, whatever you call it. And they're not thinking that if you do that, that raises the cost of sale. <laughs> which, so, it's, so that means your quote is going up. And I, I, I'm shocked how many reps I talk to who do not understand comp plans. I got into it on LinkedIn um, this week, and he goes, oh, if it doesn't close in December, it just closes in January, and everything's fine. I go, yeah, except for you don't get paid for it. <laughs> and, and he goes, yeah, I do. I go, no, you don't. Your manager's <laughs> going to add it to your quota because it's a sure thing. Right. So all of a sudden, and people can't understand simple division. And I, that's why I, at the end of uh, the beginning of Q4, I do several podcasts on please listen to me on this. This is how the game is played. Right. You know, because what do reps do? They blow up their forecast and all of a sudden they go into Q1 and the manager gives them this huge quota and they go, I can't do that. Why is it in, why is it in the CRM then? <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's amazing. You know, the, I think the other thing uh, for me when you look at a comp plan is making sure that your systems or your uh, forecasting process supports it, right? Enables it, mirrors it, not works against it. Because if there's not a consistent, you know, if language that's used in the comp plan is not the same language that's used in forecasting or the way you qualify, there's a mismatch there. And so 
you end up spending a lot of time debating uh, this account versus that account rather than having something really clear, right? So I think the comp plan has to not be, uh, you know, a set aside from what the sales team does. It needs to be a part of that DNA, a pillar of the way they act. And it needs to provide that foundational support uh, across the entire sales organization and quite frankly, even beyond the sales organization. Yeah. I mean, because today, if, if you can't put your comp plan in a spreadsheet, and, you know, basically, you know, type in your deals for that quarter and figure out how much you're getting paid because it used to be super simple. And it used to be people wouldn't even go the difference between five and 10 percent. No one would do six or nine <laughs> because they had to do it in their head. You know, it's like they didn't want to have to use a spreadsheet. But today it's turning into a neural network and an AI app to figure out how to pay people. Well, and I've seen, you know, and it. This is, at least for me, and reps that I had work for me, you'd always see them. If the, the first thing you would do, you, get, you give them the comp plan, you go over it, you explain why the comp plan is structured the way it is, and you show them the tools that, you know, maybe it somehow ties into your CRM and this is how it's going to be calculated. But myself and a lot of the reps that worked for me, the first thing we did was crack open Excel and figure out, okay, here's my tracking. Like, I, I understand that the company may have, you know, ways that they're going to track it, but I'm not 100% sure I trust it. And then, quite frankly, in Excel, I can then determine where I need to put, you know, my focus. Am I getting higher comp on net new business? Or is it is it higher comp because the company wants us to expand existing accounts? Or is it penetration into a new industry or vertical. And so how do I work those numbers backwards? And I see a lot of reps that don't take the time to understand, uh, you know, not only the comp plan, but what that means when they work backwards into their activity and focus levels. So a comp plan that somehow, uh, I don't want to say is, is too simple because we've, I think we've made it more complex than it needs to be, but one that, that easily allows reps to back into an activity and a focus level, I think is critical as well. And that's it. And I think a lot of times there's a mismatch, certainly like on the, the quarterly goals of the manager, you know, who's probably comped on meeting quarterly goals, but the reps aren't. So, you know, they're putting the pressure on the rep to close it by the end of the quarter. And the rep goes, well, it doesn't matter to me if it comes in the, <laughs> next, <laughs> the next day. Yeah. You know, love to help you out, buddy. But yeah, yeah. it's your priority, not mine. <laughs> Well, an exec comp is, it's always interesting. There's always, not always, don't want to use absolutes, but often uh, you see the way exec comp is structured doesn't mirror connect to the way they've broken down sales comp or even marketing comp if they're getting variable comp for MQLs or quality of MQLs. Um, There's this mismatch, right? So that consistency uh, of that compensation plan and how it ties into what the business issues and objectives are for the execs and the board and the organization as a whole, um, it doesn't happen as often as as I think it should. I think a lot of sales executives or executives in general do themselves a disservice by not spending the time to do that. And then what happens is the reps will try and just, okay, I'm going to focus on my little area and it's not my problem if the exec screwed up the comp plan and it doesn't really achieve what they need it to achieve. Uh, and I think that gets dangerous, right? It gets dangerous because it's a mismatch in motivation. Yeah, it is. And, you know, because this is the time of year that, you know, certainly, you know, I think most companies get them out in January. I've been at companies where you didn't get it to the middle of February. February. <laughs> <laughs> 
And and there's so much anxiety because everyone's jockeying. You know, the managers, you know, they they don't want to tell you anything because they want to, you know, reassign territories. Uh, reps have to, like, you know, hold their cards close to their vest about the deals that are happening in Q1. Um, how have you positioned yourself to, you know, make sure that that comp plan is, you know, advantageous to you and, and doesn't get, you know, overblown or undoable? Well, I, I have always, I learned, I guess, the hard way, right, to, to be extremely honest with myself uh, and with, with any of the executives that I was dealing with as an individual contributor or with reps that were part of the teams that I ran. Like, I always wanted, I wanted to know whether I was an individual contributor or not. I wanted to know what was the goal for our business. So if, essentially reverse engineering the way we sold and using it on ourselves. So eating our own dog food. What is it we're trying to accomplish? What are the metrics? What are the KPIs? And then, okay, how does that kind of work its way down into the organization? I can work accounts any way you want me to. I'm going to focus on how I'm going to make the most money because that's why I got into sales. I mean, no, not, not to hurt anybody's feelings out there. I'm not in sales to, to create world peace. I want to solve problems for businesses and I want to make money. That's what I'm here to do. But I also want to do it. I am aware there's a cultural component to a sales rep's performance inside of an organization. Well, in order to try and get over that, you know, sales is the devil mentality that you see a lot of times, there needs to be an awareness a bigger awareness of what's going on inside of the company. So for me, it was always not just looking at my comp plan or making it sound like I was just looking at it for myself, but I wanted to make sure that I was being, you know, quote unquote, a good corporate citizen, as well as making sure that it was, it was stable and fair and accessible and going to help us all hit our goals because there's nothing worse than when the goals that are set up or the KPIs that are structured, uh, they're skewed, they're screwed up. Something happens in the market, maybe at political changes, who knows what it is. But when those are off and the numbers aren't being hit and the revenue's not coming in, then all of a sudden the attention all the way down into the minutia of how many phone calls did I make? How many emails did I send? How many face-to-face meetings? Uh, that was the last place in the world I ever wanted to be. So you, and, want, you want me to go do this? Then help me make sure that I am educated and aware and aligned with everything else that's going on. So it was that kind of perspective of, yeah, it's about me, but I understand I'm not playing alone here. And, and I'm seeing a huge trend. Tell me if you're seeing it, of, you know, people moving to six-month comp plans. Have you I, seen that? Man, I've seen that. And I guess, you know, I, I guess I could see where it would make sense if it's a it's – the first tip of the spear deal is transactional short sales cycle. Now, most of my life, I'm used to B2B complex, you know, 9, 12, 18, hell, in some cases, 24-month sales cycles uh, for very large deals. So if you change it every six months, then that's going to change my account strategy every six months. And that I don't, I don't see making a lot of sense. But as we're moving to more of that, you know, SDR, division of labor type stuff, smaller, get in the door types of accounts. I could see it potentially making sense, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just too old. Maybe I just don't move as fast as I used to. Six months to me goes by in the blink of an eye. I mean, hell, a year goes by in the blink of an eye now. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, IBM, when I was there through an acquisition, they moved to it. And, you know, it was just clearly a red flag that they it was a commission expense management thing as opposed to, you know, a strategic thing, because, you know, what they if they had visibility into a huge deal, they could move things around. 
And, uh, you know, in a a company like that, you know, a a bluebird can be a big bluebird. Right. You know, but and I've also seen it in in smaller companies. And typically when I go in, I ask, you know, what's the percentage of the reps making quota? And it's just shockingly low today. And then did the company make its number? They go, oh, yeah. And I go, how's that possible? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So the company hit it, but less than half of your sales reps hit their target. So we're back to the 80-20 rule, right? 20% of your reps are generating 80% of your income. That's one interpretation. And it gets, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it gets, the, the thing that I, if somebody came to me and said, hey, I'm going to move us to a six-month comp plan, my first question would be why? Why, what is it we're trying to do? do? Is it do you really just want to manage commission expense? Because the other thing that I look for in comp plans that, and I think is important in comp plans, depending on the length of the sales cycle, is whether or not, like if you start working a deal, let's say middle of the year, and you're working it and you're, you're, you've chosen to focus on that account because based on your comp plan that as it stands today, uh, you're going to achieve X. And then all of a sudden halfway through the game, the rules change and they come back and say, oh, well, we're going to change the comp plan or it's a new comp plan this year. And that X you thought you were going to get, you're really only going to see about a third of that. And that is soul crushing when you've put your, you know, you've put the effort into a a complex sale thinking that if you can get this pulled off, there's going to be the return. Well, hell, if my, if I'd known my comp plan was going to be that, I would have totally done things differently. And so I think with six month plans there, I think you run the risk of keeping your salespeople from being able to focus the way you want them to, to drive the results you're after. Yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, My point about the 50% was that they over-assigned quota by 40%. <laughs> Meaning that, you know, say the company wanted to do 10 million, they, they assigned 14 million of quota. Yeah. Which is not uncommon today. And, and I go, why did you do that? Oh, we wanted to make sure we were okay. And, and I, I go a level below that and I go, so you feel that people will sell more when they're under quota or over quota? And they go, well, I guess over quota. So why would you make quota so hard to get then? Right, right. Well, and you see that when you see that over assignment of quota, sometimes it's deliberate. And oh, it's always deliberate. Yeah, and, and, and I've seen it actually be accidental. I caught, um, I, won't, I won't name the company I was working for, but I, I caught one of the divisions I was working for. This is going back, I don't know, 10, 11 years. I just did the math. I just did the math on just the team that I was a part of. There were other, you know, other elements in the sales organization. And just working backwards, they had they had almost oversigned 24% more in quota. And then in the same breath would complain that their turnover costs on the sales team, because you know, if you lose them, then you got to bring people in and ramp up costs, time, and money. Uh, they'd complain about that, but they didn't see the connection there, right? So it's that one of the things for compliance for me is always, again, making sure that it's not looked at in a silo, but you got to understand there are impacts across the organization. Culturally, you're going to, you could take hits on cost of sales or, you know, headcount or overhead, things like that. And, and I think most sales executives have a tendency, most executives, have a tendency to look at it uh, in a silo, right? In this protected little perfect lab environment. And yes. Labs, lab environments not paying my bills. 
Right. And I think people have to manage it like a, a sports franchise team <laughs> yes. versus, you know, an assembly line. Right. Because, OK, it might take, you know, a month to learn how to put a door on a car, but it's going to take probably 18 months to learn how to sell the product into a large enterprise account. Oh, without a doubt. Right. So you have, you know, you get the right pitcher, the right catcher, the right left fieldman. And all of a sudden you start, you know, not all those players on that team get paid the same. Well, and that's, right? a, yeah, and that's another thing, right? So you, you start, have you seen uh, organizations where they've, they've made the comp plan so different based on division of labor that it actually creates internal strife in the sales teams themselves? Have you run into that? Uh, not so much. What I've run, run most of the time is like when there's somebody who knocks it out of the park consistently, they keep coming up with new and new handicaps. And what they do is they force the person out the door. Now, if you use that on a sports team, let's say you have, you know, a home run hitter. Okay, well, you know, we we can't pay him more than the right fielder. Right. <laughs> right. No one that that logic just doesn't apply, right? Yeah, and I sometimes I can't understand why why people choose to look at it that way. I mean, have you seen impacts as a result of that? Oh well, yeah, yeah. They leave. <laughs> That's the easy well, one. Of course right? they do. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I can't tell you the number of times I look at the comp plan and they go and they go, oh yeah, there's two people in that territory. You have your choice of either keeping these accounts that you built with this huge number or taking this brand new territory with this lower number, but there's no revenue and starting over. And you got to give that account to that guy you hate over there. <laughs> and could, could you spend three months teaching them what to do? And you're like, oh, no thanks. Yeah, no, I'll pass. That's the yeah. other thing about comp plans that, that has always made me kind of tilt my head like a confused puppy. So you know the organizations, we've all, we probably all do business with them or have talked to the sales rep, where you know every 12 months you're going to get a new list of accounts or you're going to have to give up. You know, they're going to reshuffle it. Right. And, yeah. and a Apple was one of these uh, when I was working with some of their reps. I never worked for Apple, but what, working with their reps, if you would get into October, November, they'd be like, yeah, we can't we don't want to talk about those accounts anymore because that's probably not going to be my account at the first of the year. OK, so well, what in essence just happened is you just lost three months of work uh, on these accounts that could have produced revenue, could have produced return because you've created a culture where you know the shuffle is going to be so great at the first of the year or at the end of the you know, financial calendar th that people start to then make deliberate choices about where they're going to spend their time. And that has a drastic impact on the amount of revenue they produce. And so that consistent shuffle of whether it be accounts or, oh, I love the realignment of territories. Like oh last last year I was uh, Texas was part of my territory now I'm going to Michigan like, like what, why would why would or, I don't I have never understood why organizations would consistently make such drastic changes occasionally yes but consistently I can see that being um, a severe drag again on the on the teams and the efforts and I think probably goes back to that whole stable point yeah and I think. What I've always talked to when I, when I was a manager, I would tell reps, I go, this is your A territory. This I can guarantee you you're going to get next year right. if I have any, any control over it. Now, your B territory, I understand is going to be B. And that meaning it's going to be a lower priority. But I want you to work it and tell me if there's something that 
that's just not going to happen this year. And uh, you can just tell me I'll manage it. And I understand completely, but uh, I'll protect you, but you got to protect me. So you got to, I think, manage like you're managing, you know, a sporting team and understand that you want these players. You know, you put all this investment in them and that came out of your buck, you know, your back and you don't want them leaving because I heard a manager say, well, we don't hire a players. We rent them because they don't (laughs) stay. Oh, I've never heard that before. That's great. Right. And true. Often too, often true. Yeah, because it's it's too hard to, you know, convince the CFO that this person's really worth more than the other person. And and I think we're going dangerously in this direction of hiring. You know, I, I like the SDR role and even having, you know, young junior people come in. But, you know, I think once you get the accountants involved in it, because they see everybody is equal. Oh, you know, yeah. It's a spreadsheet view of the world. And then they're going to go into the division of labor gone mad which works in a high-velocity sale where there's pull, but not many companies have pull. Right. And, and, and if you're still in the push stage, that's a talent. That's a skill. That does not <laughs> come, you know, they don't teach it in college, and it takes a while to develop, and it is a skill. And once you've built that skill, you don't want it walking out the door. Well, and the, main, the maintaining of your team over time uh, will generate better results, right? I mean, it just, it's one of the reasons why one of the, one of the best tools I've seen in comp plans is uh, a team accelerator. So yes, everybody may have different comp plans because the players, like I said, with the sports now, with the baseball analogy, they, they do different things. So there might be, you know, different types of, of comp plans for them. However, much like a baseball team or a football team, when you win the championship, Everybody gets a really expensive ring and a nice bonus, right? So yep. in order to get over that, um, I in the past have, have used, and I didn't come up with it, stole it from somebody else, uh, but that team incentive, that team accelerator that if, you know, for the quarter or the half or the year, whatever it is, if the entire team achieves the targets, then there's, then there's another way to accelerate their individual comp. Now, it usually is a multiplier on whatever their comp plan is just to keep it, you know, fair across the board. Um, but that type of layering, that, that one layer of like, okay, you hit these, if the entire team hits these targets, and everybody makes more money you get to see you see people work together more often and have a tendency to stick around a little bit longer because they don't feel like they're just hanging out by themselves and that brings up a great point because most sales managers think of their team as a team right and in some ways they are to him the manager but to the rep you know if one it's almost the opposite right because if one person is you know, 150% of the quota, all the rest of them have to push that person down. Otherwise they look bad. <laughs> right. And I, I remember this one startup, you know, we'd all meet at the airport, be going back to the airport. We get on the rental bus and head back to the airport and we'd all look around and say, okay, who, who's not going to be on this bus trip next quarter? <laughs> yeah. and, and it, it's, it's sad, but, you know, there's a lot of backbiting. And and I think that a team bonus would kind of pull people together because managers t- tend to think, oh, they're my team, but there's no incentive to them helping each other. It's a de-incentive. 
Right. You know, especially well, I, if they like, like share resources. Well, and yeah, that's where I was just going to go, especially today when you see it, how many people are involved in a sale. I mean, we often talk about how many people are involved on the buyer side. And I forget what the latest seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever. There's a lot of people typically on the buying side of it. But we're also seeing an increase in the number of people on the sales side of it. The, the days of the lone wolf... Um, it still happens. I still know some that can pull it off, but that requires a command of a skill set that you don't see a lot of people working to develop, uh, you know, as much anymore. You have to see a lot more specialization. And so now you've got more people involved in the sales process. Well, you want everybody working together. The only way to do that, if you're going to have different comp plans for the different players is to give them some type of, some type of team incentive. All right, everyone, that does it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation around comp plans, obviously a sensitive subject for many in sales today. Uh, Hopefully we provided some insights, some things to think about, uh, and some ways that uh, you can reevaluate your perception of your own comp plan as you move into making 2018 uh, a stellar year for your sales performance. I want to thank everybody for listening. As always, you like what we're hearing, what we're doing, and what you're hearing, drop us a review on iTunes. Uh, We greatly appreciate it. Shoot us an email, let us know what other guests or topics you'd like us to cover. And until next time, we at Value Prime Solutions wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.